And there we have it, folks. And there you have it, folks. Oh, wait. What? It's the start of the episode. Never mind. Yes. We don't have anything yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not the end. This is the beginning of part two. Part two. Right? Part, yeah. Yeah, this is part two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. It oh. has. Truly. And now we record. And now. You, our audience of... We have an estimated audience of 32. Hey. Hi. According to Anchor. Hello. Hello. All 32 of you. That is more than I can get to come to my classroom. Anyway. <laughs> so now Aaron will be teaching you um, shapes. I hope you like your shapes and letter sounds. That's all I'm saying. I love shapes and letter sounds. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, whew, center, center. Yes. Um we <laughs> um we're here now. Welcome to part 2 of our Devil Wears Prada series. Indeed. It was a great time last week. It was. We really just kind of like shot from the hip last week. We just We let it loose and natural. Yeah. Meandered around just uh <laughs> Almost like two white guys on a podcast. That's what we did last time. Much like Andrea Sachs walking into that first fashion day where she insults the two turquoise um, Mm, belts. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cerulean. Cerulean. (laughs) Not lapis. Or much like Emily in Paris in (laughs) everything she does. Did she learn French when she moved to France? Absolutely not. Nope. And she's still, she's, how long has she been there at this point? So I finished season two. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how long has she been there at this point? Like at least three, four months, I want to say. Yeah. And she's still saying, mercy. (laughs) I'm like, oh "Oh my, what? She also says the hard R for bonjour. Uh Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, it's so grating. uh, Does she not hear the difference? She comes bonjour. in and she's like, bonjour. No. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And that whole time. I don't time. understand. Oh, my goodness. I okay. just. Anyway. We are now the Emily in Paris podcast. Yes. And <laughs> we are miserable. We're um, miserable. <laughs> no. Okay. Devil Wears Prada. Let's yes. do it. Do it. Focus. We can do it. Okay. <laughs> so last week, um, we talked about um emily in paris actually <laughs> we did and the bold type and, and the other bold kind type yeah fashion shows well not and yeah well i mean they share uh dna with the the devil wears prada and that yeah. is what our show is all about if you hadn't noticed the title <laughs> it is about the dna of popular of media and we also talked about the inherent um, misogyny in society toward the fashion industry. Yeah. And people who are interested in fashion, which yeah. is mostly women. And I think 
as we move forward in this discussion today, we're going to talk about, like we like to do, some of the foundations that are inherent in Devil Wears Prada. So mm-hmm. we're going to think a little bit about Chiclet and about the branding of New York City, like why mm-hmm. we think of New York as... The, if you can make it there, you can make it everywhere. Right. Where did that start? Yeah. And New York City is like, it's kind of like a running joke that like so many movies and TV shows are set in New York City. Yeah. And so like, I have never been to New York City, um, but you have been My a family lot. are all New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Like, I have this very particular image of New York in my mind sure. that I know is completely incorrect, but sure. I don't know what the real New York is like. So perhaps you can enlighten us. And I have an inflated love of it because my family <laughs> are all Brooklyners. Um, oh, okay. I've been called an honorary New Yorker. I'm sitting here in my Strand New York jacket right now. Nice. I, Love the branding. I, Love the branding. Another branding. Yeah. This <laughs> this shop opened in 1927. So, um, yeah, it's all in the branding there. So I looked, if we want to dive right into that, I looked specifically into kind of where that started. When did, like, you wouldn't go to Minnesota and say if I can make it here I can make it anywhere like why, why? not well I why mean not? you could and you you could have a lovely life there but it's not what if what you want to do is something that is like that like Minnesota is known for like cheese I think that's Wisconsin oh heck it is but sure <laughs> <laughs> but what like... if you want to be a Minnesota Viking And you're like, if I can be a Minnesota Viking in Minnesota, I can be a Minnesota Viking anywhere. I think that's how that works. It is. Yeah. Ask Lizzo. Lizzo. (laughs) Her new man is on the Minnesota Viking. Or as I chose to interpret it, she was just very excited that there was a new member of the team. Um, (laughs) She was just like, yeah. She's like, oh, new man on the Minnesota Vikings. I'm so excited. (laughs) But all to say, why is it that like we have been so consciously branded that New York is the place to go? Um, And I actually found an answer. Usually when I pose these big questions, I don't actually come up with anything. But I found several... Like, as is our tradition. <laughs> as is tradition. Um, but I actually found some kind of interesting stuff. Now, every time I say stuff, I think of Miranda Priestley when she goes this stuff. So it all began in the 1970s. Everything. Yeah. Everything started in the 1970s, right? It really did. Yeah. yeah. That's the first time that you got the I Heart New York shirt. Mm-hmm. And that's where it began. So... Quite literally branded merchandise for New York City. (laughs) Yeah. If you go to Manhattan, you see those shops, not even on every corner, on every like couple feet, you see the I Heart New York (laughs) shirt. So much so that I had only really traveled to New York City. So I assumed that other states (laughs) had that many of those shops and you might get a few, but you don't get that 
many. So it's that's kind of where it begins. In the 1970s, they start to build that branding. The I Heart New York shirt kind of starts to pop up in some modeling campaigns and some different <laughs> photographs of the day. You also get like... There's that classic one where John Lennon is wearing his New York City shirt, mm-hmm, and I don't, sure. I don't know when that happened, but that kind of, it started creeping into popularity to wear a New York shirt. We see them now even, like mm-hmm. walking around uh, Washington, you see people wearing like a New York shirt, and it's kind of like, huh, it, yeah. it reaches out, you know? Like, don't you know where you are? Don't, we're not, we're not there. <laughs> and then as... So as this marketing campaign grew in the 1970s, it was a desperate attempt for the city and state to get tourists. Hmm. It, it sounds funny to say that because I think of it as such a tourist spot. But yeah. in the 1970s, people were not really traveling there as much. Um, right. Well, and I wonder, isn't it like, didn't New York have a big like crime wave in the 70s? So yeah. Mm-hmm. That was why, like, they didn't have a lot of, you know, like, they didn't have people coming in as tourists. They didn't have people who wanted to live in New York City because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a bunch of, like, other political stuff happening in New York City at the time. Um, mm, sure. Which I went, it got... <laughs> It got down me down into too many rabbit holes, so uh-huh. I was just kind of like, oh, "Okay, this we should, should just take have a, whole... a, a whole separate podcast on New York City." Absolutely, that'd be um, fascinating. Actually, <laughs> it, it kind of would be, yeah. And I think, of course, in this conversation, wrapped up in this conversation, is a lot of um, gentrification as well. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. At the forefront of this was gentrification, I would say. Yeah, you see that hinted at in the most recent retelling of West Side Story when you see mm-hmm. them building um, Lincoln Center, where people yeah. used to live. So tearing down homes and building Lincoln Center. So at the forefront of this branding was also the gentrification of the area. Just wanted to make space there for that, because I think that was the driving force behind this branding. And then there's also some stuff associated with that so yeah like Lincoln Center and building these other kind of not only not just another building but like these really two grandiose buildings cultural institutions yeah and that's what they're intended to be is like Mm -hmm. they're very intentionally making New York a cultural center yeah and kind of a hoity-toity one at that. So, like, Lincoln right, Center right, right. and, like, opera Well, and there's, ballet. like, the hoity-toity New York, and then there's, like, the kind of, like, quote-unquote low-culture New York culture. So, like, Absolutely. They're, they're, bo- they're all mixed in there. Yeah. Um, I say this as someone who's never been to New York. <laughs> no, it's so true. And that's <laughs> the cool thing is that they all exist together. Mm-hmm. And then they that you also saw in that um, all of the different universities that um, started springing up in New York City. So there are in the tiny, tiny city of Manhattan, there mm-hmm. are Which 11. Which is like three square miles or something. Yeah, it's something tiny. Like it's not the entire state of, of New York City. It's just Manhattan uh-huh. has 11 universities. Mm. 
that um they how many what's the population of manhattan oh um (laughs) manhattan alone could have a million people yeah right i'm gonna google it real quick you you keep talking i'm googling it (laughs) and so i think that's also a way to get young 18 year olds into new york city to make sure that it gains kind of that status is having the most expertise, you know, having the most expertise in the room, having young scholars, having young, um, all sorts of professionals, really, Mm -hmm. you get everywhere from like fashion and theater and art to like lawyers and, and bankers and all of everything. So you can go to New York City as a young 18 year old and then learn anything that you want to become well versed in and then become a young professional and they want to keep you there. So they're trying to make it um, a place you would want to stay. Manhattan has a population of 1.6 million. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2019. So it could be higher now. Yeah. Brooklyn, Brooklyn has a population of 2.6 million. Go Brooklyn. But I think it's, I think it's larger area wise though mm-hmm. than Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They wanted, they really wanted not only a means of attracting the younger generation, but also getting them to be the young professionals, the young, um, like, people who had expertise on subjects so that then they could stay in New York and create further generations of people who love New York and want to stay. The other way that you do that is put New York City, like you mentioned, Rhonda, in just about (laughs) everything in the media. You know, there are Mm -hmm. so many books all about New York City. There are so, so many movies where New York is like the third character, you know? um, (laughs) Like Sex in the City. It's like... (laughs) It's yeah. like such a cliche by now, but it's like, see, the city is like the fifth character. <laughs> exactly. She's the fifth lady. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a few of the movies that are really like kind of showing New York as a fifth character. So you have 13 going on 30. You have How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Um, you have West Side Story. You have In the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom. You have... About a million other rom-coms. You've where got mail. You got mail. You've got the mail. Lo- they even talk about it. In, yeah. They, even, they talk about New York and you've got mail. A oh, lot. I always, <laughs> I always forget about that movie. I love that movie. You have an entire movie written about New York, Manhattan. You know, it's very much a concentrated effort to get us all to fall in love with the city. I think you also have... <laughs> have shows like the office where michael <laughs> scott goes out of his way to like go to the sparrow in he's <laughs> like my favorite new york pizza spot and it's a sparrow it's that's in like I've... every mall in america yeah. <laughs> i've eaten in that very sparrow by the way all to say that new york has been concentratedly branded i just made up a new word has been branded <laughs> to be an exciting spot since about the 1970s And they've kept it going with having, again, 11 universities there. Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Yes, absolutely. See, I forgot all of them. It's been happening since the 19th century. The movie Brooklyn. Like all sorts of really concentrated efforts to make us see the beauty of the city. And 
gosh, I mean, I have to say, when you walk down the streets of New York City, there is a palpable, vibrant feeling that you get. It really is there. Is there like is that inherent to New York though, or is it your like your individual love for New York? being gratified by being in New York. Yeah, it's really hard to say. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you should go. I will Everyone say New Yorkers on Twitter are get really annoying. That's uh, <laughs> Um oh, <laughs> my dad also brought up something really interesting. He was he is a New Yorker and he uh-huh. mentioned that there's this feeling the winters are so difficult on the East Coast that he says that there's a feeling that you've all made it through another winter. Like, it feels like you unite through bad weather um, mm. in kind of a, a way that builds community. He mentioned that as well. I interviewed a real live one. So, <laughs> yeah. We should I'll have just... your dad on the show sometime. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He would plots. He would absolutely plots. <laughs> Go go to New Hi, York. Hi, Aaron's dad. Hi, my dad. This is just a plug to go to New York. That's all I wanted to say. Um, I will someday, <laughs> perhaps. We should go together. We should. You could show me around. Heck yeah. I really just want to go to the Strand. That's all I yes. care about. Oh, it's the best. And maybe eat some food. The food's the food's really good. Well, we can yeah. go to that Sparrow. Yeah. We'll go to the Sparrow. <laughs> we should do an office tour of New York. We'll go to the oh Sparrow and then we'll go we'll go to Spam a lot like Jim and Karen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll second act Spam a lot. We'll second act Spam a lot. Perfect. Okay. Yes. What other things take place in New York? Well, there's a lot. I mean, of course, there's like Saturday Night Live, uh-huh. which is very uh-huh. much a celebration of New York City. And yeah, done... a lot of times on SNL, they make jokes that are, like, obviously New York City specific. Yeah. Because, like, nobody else gets them. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, you also have shows like Friends, you know, where everyone, where the city is very much, I don't know how many friends there are, but one of the friends is New York City. <laughs> the seventh friend is the New York City. The seventh friend is New but York City. But it's, like, it's interesting. Like, I, I think the movie, Isn't It Romantic?, comments on this really well that that like the new york city that we see like on friends or in romantic comedies is very much like a romanticized yeah. sanitized version of new york because like in in isn't it romantic like when she switches over to like oh now she's in the romantic comedy suddenly like all the city streets look like the village in Beauty and the Beast. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like it transforms into this like very pretty, very yeah. clean um, yeah. city. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how accurate the the non-rom-com New York is in that movie. But anyway, that's, I thought it was funny. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh, I forgot. I always forget about that show too. You know what show I think does a really good job of showing an honest New York is Broad City. Oh, okay. I think yeah. Broad City and like Master of None, Aziz Ansari yep. show. They yep, show what one. I kind of see as like the unique uh, unique New York. New York, unique yeah. New York, unique New York. Do you have to do that tongue twister in, in choir? 
I have to do it every time I walk down the streets of New York City. <laughs> unique New York. Unique New York. Mm-hmm. People get mad if you don't. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this woman? That was like one of our, you know how like in choir class in like middle school or high school, you have like these warm ups that you do. Oh, yeah. Morning? And like we would do like tongue twisters. And one of them was unique New York. Unique New York. Yeah. Unique New York. <laughs> Did you anyway. ever do, you know, you need unique New York? No, we didn't we get did, that advanced. We did. Wow. That one. You, you know, you need unique New York. Yeah. Oh, my. One. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So wow. Right now. Yeah. I think I think Broad City does a really good job of showing, you know, the other show, uh, not the one with um, Phoebe Waller Bridge, but the other crashing, oh. the one with. Pete Holmes, he does a really good job of showing like actual New York. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You said Phoebe Waller Bridge, and I immediately went, "Um, that's in London, Erin." Um, what that's you... London. No, Flea she has. A sh- <laughs> she has a show called Crashing, and okay. so does. Yeah, Pete I, Holmes. yes. <laughs> Wait, that's not New York. What? No, what? <laughs> I have to surprise. Okay, Fleabag is in New this. York. Everyone <laughs> just has British accents for no reason. <laughs> If I just think every major city is New York City. <laughs> yeah, she's in New York. Yeah, Sleepless in Seattle, that's New York. That's actually, New York. actually, part of it is in New York. Because <laughs> they go to the Empire State Building. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned a, a few books that take place in New York. Yeah. Brooklyn, which is yeah. also made into a movie. A movie you know, that I there's... saw like 10 times anyway. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. But you know, there's a whole genre of literature that, well, I wouldn't say all of it takes place in New York, but uh-huh. many, many books in this genre do take place in New York or like similarly metropolitan areas. Yeah. And quite often New York. And The Devil Wears Prada, the book by Lauren Weisberger, many would consider to be part of this genre. Ooh, tell me more. And I am, of course, talking about Chicklet. I really hate the name, but that's the, uh-huh. that's, that's the name that stuck. So anyway, um, <laughs> Chicklet. <laughs> so Chicklet um, was really most... I, t- I talked about this a little bit last week. It's really this genre that came about in like the 1990s and early 2000s and that's really when it kind of hit the peak of its popularity. So this was a kind of a subgenre or really kind of became its own genre of popular fiction that was mostly targeted at young women, so like women in their 20s and 30s. I dug a little bit into like the history of chiclet and kind of how it came to be. Um, Because I mentioned last week that, um, like, Bridget Jones's diary, I think I called it, like, the Ur text of Chiclet. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, you sure did. So that came out in 1996. um, But they actually, you can actually trace it earlier than that. So we actually have uh, Waiting to Exhale by Terry McMillan, which came out in 1992 as sort of the first book that we could or at least at least like the first really popular book that we could kind of fit into this yeah this uh chiclet genre (laughs) what my uh my amazon alexa is is calling out to me 
Alexa loves New York City <laughs> and chiclet. Computer. Answer. <laughs> Hello? Hi, Hi Miles. <laughs> it's not working. Hey, Miles, can I call you back later? Okay, I'll see you later. Bye. Aww. <laughs> Bye. Oh, I'm still recording. Okay. Um. <laughs> what a precious angel. I'm also still recording. Okay, that's fine. I'll edit this out. Or not. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, this genre has been described as consisting of a heroine-centered narrative that focuses on the trials and tribulations of the individual protagonist. So it kind of is related to, like, what we might call women's fiction. Okay. Um, which, like, I don't I can't even think of a good example of women's fiction right now. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But in Chiclet, it was... Chiclet was more like lighthearted um, most okay. of the time, um, was more comedic in nature, whereas like women's fiction, you know, might might have like some tragedy, um, uh -huh. some more serious issues, whereas Chiclet was usually more lighthearted and comedic. Sure. Yeah. 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 And um, the protagonists of Chiclet tended to be heterosexual women in their late 20s and early 30s. And they tended to live in metropolitan areas, such as New York City. And, um, of course, we have a couple of examples that I mentioned. Bridget Jones' Diary, Waiting to Exhale, both of which came out in the 90s. So those are really kind of the earliest, um, the earliest examples that we see that became really popular. Yeah. But then into, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s, um, we had, like... Did you read the Shopaholic books? Yes. I loved those. <laughs> yeah. So comforting. <laughs> they were so comforting. And they and so this really became like kind of a publishing phenomenon in the 2000s. Yeah. So of course though, since this was a trend in popular culture that was mostly followed by and made for women there was of course a little a little misogyny going on uh toward of it course. so you know that happens um <laughs> yeah this is great what makes a novel chiclet anyway the marketing and cutesy often hot pink cover and how does this kind of book differ from women's fiction and regular romances both mainstream women's fiction and chiclet deal in similar themes love marriage fidelity work friendship and are written by women for women. As chicklitbooks.com <laughs> convincingly <laughs> argues, the difference is largely a question of tone. Okay, this isn't the quote I was looking for, but this is still good. I like Regular it. women's fiction, a la Maeve Binchy or Elizabeth Berg, takes life a bit more seriously. Chicklet is distinguished by its humor, wisecracking characters, ridiculous situations, and usually involving work or dating. Um, and that's th that's another thing that like differentiated chiclet from romance is that a lot of chiclet books have a romantic storyline, but that's usually 
like in the background or like the secondary plot line. Um, sure. And I think usually if uh, it's pretty safe to say if there was a romantic storyline, it kind of had a happy ending in the book. But but that uh-huh. wasn't necessarily the case. Whereas sure. in romance, like there's always a happy ending. And this was a great article that I found. This is kind of like di- dipping into the archives here a little bit. <laughs> so this is actually from... I think this is from 2000. Okay. This is from a library journal, actually. And it's about, like, it's, it's so it's, like, four librarians. And it's kind of, like, giving them advice on, like, how to curate their chiclet collection for, okay. for their libraries, which I found, like, was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so this is, like, kind of their breakdown on, like, the different sub- genres of chiclet because they're Uh like different varieties um (laughs) so this is really funny i thought so it says chiclet comes in plenty of flavors the line (laughs) among genres mystery romance christian fiction can be fluid some may even say fuzzy but you'll know you're dealing with a chiclet book if it offers most of the elements detailed above buy to suit the tastes of your patrons so i love this it's so funny because like they define a lot of these by like bridget jones does this because like everyone (laughs) knew bridget jones at the time apparently right so the first category they have is britlet or singletons where it all began with bridget jones and friends these are sometimes a little sexier than their american (laughs) counterparts and then ladlet this is interesting chicklet for men okay Um, this is in i don't think that this really like took off as much mm-hmm. as chiclet did and they have workplace tell all yeah. the focus here is more on the heroine's career trials and tribulations than her romantic issues so this actually mentions the devil wears prada and then also sure. the nanny diaries did you read that one yeah oh that broke my heart <laughs> like, that i read book. so many of these yeah and then <laughs> This is how you can tell this is from 2000. They actually this actually says ethnic chiclet. Oh, just like mm, okay. Right. Oh, wow. And they yeah. So they just basically named several books that were written by authors of color. Um okay. like they just lumped them all together. That's, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally. Just Very like two- you want. Yeah. Very 2000s. Oh, um, my gosh. And then they have Bride lit, which is Bridget Jones gets hitched, mayhem ensues. <laughs> um, mommy lit, Bridget oh, no. Jones has a baby. <laughs> Widow lit. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, Christian chick lit. I did okay. read. I did read a few of those in my day. Okay. Um, mystery chick lit, <laughs> like Bridget Jones solves a mystery. Oh wow! Um, and then <laughs> hen lit. Also called matron lit, which sounds oh. insulting. Oh. This refers to the growing number of women's fiction titles marketed with cutesy covers to capitalize on the chick lit trend. Aimed at an older audience, late 40s to 60s, these books are still fun and breezy. Because <laughs> I was thinking when I heard that, I was thinking like how in Ireland, uh, uh, bachelorette <laughs> bachelorette parties are called hen parties you know so I yeah had hope. well and in the UK yeah. too uh-huh. it's, it's a hen do yeah so yeah it's it's 
specifically about a bachelorette party. Interesting. It's like a whole genre that's about bachelorette parties. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> have you seen Bachelorette? The, the no, movie I don't think I have. With Kirsten Dunst and Rebel Wilson. Oh, I should watch that. Isla Fisher and Lizzie Kaplan. Oh my gosh, this movie has a great cast. Oh, I anyway. did, and it was. <sighs> I don't know. I think I don't know why I stopped watching. I should go back. Yeah, I'll go back. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> um, so I found a more recent salon article about kind of the rise and fall of chiclet that is still like a little bit condescending <laughs> but, uh-huh. but i think this has some interesting uh it makes some interesting connections okay and so this says as the first species of popular fiction to treat its heroine's professional aspirations as seriously as their romantic prospects Chiclet flourished at a time when ambitious young women poured into a robust job market, seeking both love and success, often with a heaping serving of pricey commodities on the side. Perhaps the generation of women who spent the late 90s and early 2000s reading about publicists flirting with their handsome bosses and hitting (laughs) sample sales with their girlfriends has moved on to unfettered fantasies of supernaturally endowed lovers. Maybe they turn to more serious movie of the week problem novels like Jody Picold's. Or they've already tired of that and switched to dystopian YA. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Okay, here's a, here is um here's a sign that this writer hasn't read a YA book in about a decade because uh-huh. that's not okay. <laughs> Becoming <laughs> Okay, they cuz they they name drop the Hunger Games here, and the Hunger Games is a decade old. Okay, yeah. like mm-hmm. anyway, another pet peeve of mine. Yeah, um, <laughs> but then they say, who can say which of these genres will, like the police procedural or the Regency romance, stick around for decades, and which, like Chicklet, will float away like Mary Poppins style with the next change in the wind? Okay, again, the Hunger Games has been around for a decade. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah. But... I don't think they're floating away, but okay. okay. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought it was really interesting to um, look at The Devil Wears Prada, the book, in the context of, like, this chiclet kind of trend that it was a part of. Because it yeah. really, coming out in, what, 2003, I think, is when the book came out. So that okay. was really... That was really at the peak of chiclet popularity. And I kind of have to wonder if, like, if Lauren Weisberger had... I mean, this is, like, kind of true of, like, any book that, you know, becomes successful because it's part of a a rising trend. Yeah. But, like, if she had written it at any, like, you know, even, like, two years later, like, would it have had the same success the same impact right Um, yeah yeah I just think it's interesting that like just the the trends in in fiction and in publishing oh it's just it's fascinating like how how like readers can sort of help shape trends but really like publishers are ultimately in control of of you know what books they put out and so I don't know 
I think it's interesting. Um, I do too. Yeah, <laughs> it's what gets published and what doesn't. You right. know, it's yeah. interesting. I think a current trend that I would actually kind of uh, not equate exactly, but like kind of compare, I guess, to chiclet as a trend. There's this trend right now, and time will tell if it is actually just a trend or if it's just kind of a new a new thing that that ends up, you know, becoming like a thing. Um, (laughs) But the illustrated romance cover, I think, is kind of so like, it's not really a new genre because like contemporary romance has been around for decades, (laughs) like forever, right? But the idea of doing it as a trade paperback so mm-hmm. like not the mass market size paperbacks but like a trade paperback yeah and with like an illustrated cover i think is almost creating like a new i mean it's still romance yeah like i wouldn't classify it as something other than romance but it's it's kind of creating a new genre in a way because it's also drawing in readers that that romance traditionally hasn't before. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Which yeah. is kind of what Chicklet did. Because like internalized misogyny, like a lot of women are not gonna read a romance, but if it's Chicklet, like they'll read that because the, because it's the branding, right? Like Yeah. I and yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I'm not necessarily like the first one in line for a romance novel. Not because I don't like them, but it's just mm-hmm. I, I, I reach for dragons and whatever. Yeah. But, well, you but know, you, the, there are romance novels with dragons. I'm just saying. I'm going to need that list. I can, I can, sh- I, I can send you a whole list. <laughs> I'm going to need that list. But I am entirely drawn to these covers that you're talking about and it has made me start to read more of them well and I think like I think that if you look at these covers they're doing a very similar thing that chiclet covers did Mm -hmm. was that it gave you like kind of a cute like graphic not like graphic graphic I mean (laughs) graphic as in like it's it's um Illustrated, I guess, would be a better term. Like an illustrated depiction of like something important in the book, you know? Yeah. Um, like it's it's more it was more symbolic of like what you would find in the book, and I think that's kind of what the what like illustrated romance covers do too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, totally. I think that that's interesting to think about and just like another another thought that I had um about kind of this idea of like recent contemporary romance and how we can compare it to chiclet so like like I mentioned like in chiclet books romance don't always have happy endings but I think they more often than not, I think they did. Mm-hmm. But chiclet novels are often more focused on another storyline. So like a career or a friendship yeah. or a family-centered story with a romance kind of as a side plot. 
Yeah. Whereas, of course, romance by definition always has a romance as the main plot. But I think that, like, the clever, funny writing Uh that that you find in a lot of contemporary, especially, like, rom-com romance novels. Yeah. And sort of, like, the focus on women's lives, taking women's issues and struggles seriously. Yeah. That's very much in the spirit of Chiclet. Yeah. And, of course, romance novels have been doing that for decades. So in a way, like, Chiclet wasn't anything new at the time. But I think, if anything, Chiclet's hyper-focus on, like, the day-to-day problems of women who both want careers and romance, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of spilled over into, like, influencing authors of, like, current contemporary romance. Yeah. Because... I've read, like, in our Best Of episode, I talked about several contemporary romance novels that I enjoyed in 2021. And, like, several of those that I'm thinking of right now, the heroine is very career-driven. Like, she wants, you know, she wants fulfillment in her career and in her romantic life, which I don't... I mean, not to say that that, you know, didn't happen before the year 2000, but I think that that's kind of where we see Chicklet's echoes in contemporary romance. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of Chicklet, I think of like the, the resolution by the end that even though, even if I fell in love or if I didn't, or if I got the dream job or I didn't, I love myself a little bit more. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I think of. And what I love most, I think about Chiclet is it's kind of falling in love with yourself throughout the journey. Mm -hmm. And the other things are great too, but it's kind of a, at least a trend in the ones that I've sought out are like a character falls more in love with themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what happens in a good romance, too, is that yeah. you have to fall in love with yourself before you can fall in love with someone else. Yeah. And I'll, I've read a lot of good romances that that's what the characters have to do. Yeah. And then there was just one more, like, kind of nebulous subgenre mm-hmm. that The Devil Wears Prada sort of fits into um, that I wanted to talk about but I couldn't find very much <laughs> about this. But that is the office novel. And no, this is not novels about <laughs> the television show, The Office, although I would definitely read that. Um, I would for sure read that, yeah. Okay. Um, but The Office novel is sort of this, it's not even really a genre, I wouldn't okay. say. It's more of like, a focus in contemporary fiction um, of like office life, office politics. Mm -hmm. Um, In this Descent magazine article, it's described as office fiction is deliberately and narrowly construed as being about manners, sociability, gossip, the micro struggles for rank and status. In other words, office politics Mm-hmm. Rather than about the work that is done in offices. Sure. Which is absolutely the devil wears Prada. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you kind of get a, a glimpse into like the actual work 
that is done. But it's really more about like the power struggles and the and yeah. the you know and the people pleasing and the status in this office. Yeah. And then I had just like I I very recently read two books that are like technically office novels, but they're like really different takes on office novels. Yeah. Um so Severance by Ling Ma, which is which is about a zombie apocalypse. Um okay. but the protagonist keeps going to work. Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then please read it. And then That's funny. I wanna <laughs> right, read that. Right. It's almost Kafka esque. Okay. Honestly. Oh, I love um, but like that. not in a pretentious way. Like, no, sure, I I can already from the who is, description. Who you is Kafka esque? I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> but already in what you just said, though, about it, I can see how that could have a Kafka kind of yes. throw to it. Absolutely, and it's yeah, it's oh, it's so good. Um, I read it. So this is another one that I read in like I read it in like April of 2020. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the other one is The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. Yes, this is on my TBR. Yes. Yes. So good. And it's like, it's almost like, I feel like you almost need to go into it without knowing anything Okay. about it. I mean, well, that's you, okay. For anyone who like already kind of knows stuff about it, like that's fine. But like <laughs> I didn't know. I just thought that it was like, you know, a kind of a straightforward contemporary fiction when mm-hmm. I first started reading it. And it's not. So okay. <laughs> um yeah, but just yes, please read that one as well. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah, everyone. Yeah. Um, and the reason why <laughs> Like, the reason why I kind of thought of these two novels, well, especially the other black girl, I'm pretty sure that I read a blurb about it somewhere that said, it's like the Devil Wears Prada meets Get Out. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, yes. Um, oh, wow. And I, can, I definitely see the Devil Wears Prada comparison in there because okay. there is, like, the protagonist, you know kind of has uh I wouldn't say that her boss is exactly like Miranda Priestly but there's a similar kind of like dynamic there Mm -hmm. I suppose so yeah I see the Devil Wears Prada comparison but yeah anyway I don't know that I've read an office novel now that I think Hmm. about it I mean I read the Devil Wears Prada so I have but Uh yeah I haven't read many of them the other black girl and Severance both take place in New York. Just to yeah, they tie up do. this discussion with a little bow. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's all we have this week, folks. Yeah. I always like our part twos when we kind of go into the frameworks and the different things. I always enjoy this episode, I think. And next week... Oh, we're going to have fun next week. We are. We're going to... We're going to talk about the characters that everyone loves to hate or hates to love. 
And we're going to defend them a little bit, at least in my Maybe. case. Yeah. Perhaps in my case as well. We'll see. We'll and then see. we're also going to talk about the woman who started it all, Anna Wintour. Kind of take a peek at her and her reactions to being so almost notoriously written about. You know, mm. we're going to chat about that as well. And her little lad haircut. We love I I I love her. I do. <laughs> going to be I'm going to give it away. I love her. That's next week. Yeah. So come join us. We'll have a ball. Okay. We're very tired now. <laughs> Goodbye our friends. Goodbye. <laughs>